Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bezel Banter, a podcast that covers different topics, including travel, various gear, and of course, watches. My name is Ernesto, and today I'm absolutely excited to be bringing this guest to you guys. He has been a friend of mine for a very long time. I've known him actually longer than I've been on Instagram. And he is a gearhead, number one. He's also a photographer and a watch enthusiast with a very large and pretty eclectic watch collection. I'd like to introduce you to Skip at Watching SRQ. Hi, Skip. Welcome. Hey, Ernesto. How's it going? Good, man. How are you doing? I can't complain. Sitting here recording with my cat. All is well in the world. That's awesome. I'm glad. It's kind of cool you called me a cool cat. You didn't say cool, but I'm going to say it. But anyway, um, I appreciate you, first of all, taking some time with me today to go ahead and uh, talk about yourself and talk about watches and talk about photography. And, you know, before we get started, one of the things I'd like to do is to understand what's on your wrist today. So what are you wearing? Oh, today I am wearing the most versatile watch in my collection, the Seiko SRP777. Oh man, that is a cool Seiko diver. I, I've got one myself and I didn't know what all the hype was about until I ended up picking one up and it is a versatile and I'm going to just say it, robust timepiece. Definitely a cool watch. <laughs> it is indeed. Yeah. yeah. One thing I love about it is that I'm also, a, in addition to being a watch guy, I'm a strap guy. Okay. And so I literally have dozens of bracelets and straps that will fit this thing. Yes. And so, you know, if I want, you know, to have some fun, I can throw on some color. If I want something more subdued, I can throw it on just a simple bracelet or a black NATO. Yeah. Uh, if I had to get rid of all the others, this is the one. As long as I can oh, keep okay. my straps. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, no, that's cool. For me today, I'm wearing an Omega Geneve Dynamic. It's an old... Oh, um, yeah, so it's a cool. <laughs> well, I wore it special for you today. It's actually a watch that I inherited from my dad. Really? And this watch, you I know that you're very eclectic when it comes to your collection. And I think if I'm not mistaken, you actually have a watch that pays homage to this watch. And it's kind I of an older do. watch from Sears, actually. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's cool. I have another friend who has one. I didn't know you had one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is beautiful. I've oh, looked you. at them so many times and they're so, because yours is original from your dad, that's easy. Yes. But there are so many out there that are frankened or, you know, generally not in good condition or. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it reminds me of a conversation I recently had with one of our other watch uh, watch buddies, Daniel from at Wonger.Bonger. And we were talking about, you know, the Seiko Pogue and mm. how unfortunately it starts getting to be quite franken and it's hard to find like a well-sourced, you know, a well put together timepiece. So yeah, exactly. I don't wear this one that often because it has so much sentimental value to me. So I, sure. I'm fearful of wearing it around, but I'm wearing it today. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. That is so Thank cool. Thank you very much. I yeah, appreciate I a... that another watch friend who who has a and i'm using quotation fingers pogue um who he doesn't care at all about originality he just wants it to look good yeah and uh there's nothing wrong with that that's okay um i couldn't do that you know i would have to be super i want super original if i can get it 
Yes. But, uh, but yeah, I have a 6139. That's my birth year watch. Nice. Uh, it's one of the few watches I bought this year. Very cool. So let's go ahead and take a few minutes and, and better understand you as a watch enthusiast and a watch collector. So if you would, what, what really got you started in watch collecting? You know, I've always worn one you know, since I was a kid, you know, there was a time, you know, when it was required to get through the daily life to wear a watch. And um, as I got older and I got into my career where I needed to know, you know, especially early on exactly what time it was at any given moment. And so I continued wearing one and I was always just getting something that was cheap and utilitarian. And uh, I, you know, hit one of those turning points in my life mm. and decided I was going to buy myself a nice watch. <laughs> so I, I bought myself a, um, a, what was it? A Victorian, not Victorian, Swiss army cavalry watch. Okay. Uh, which I wore for many years <clears throat> to the point where I thrashed it and bought an exact duplicate of it. Mm-hmm. Um, then I hit another one of those turning points and bought a Seiko um, perpetual calendar quartz watch. Okay. Um, but then, you know, flash forward a few years past that, uh, I really started kind of paying attention to the EDC community, uh, looking for like pens and knives and all those things that you keep in your pocket. And of course, watches are a part of that. And um, so I kept seeing watches and looking at this Seiko. And it's, again, I've, I'm kind of thrashed on it and it's in not great shape. And I went and bought myself a Timex Weekender, which at that time was really hot in that mm-hmm. community. And, um, you know, the Weekender came on a nylon strap, you know, a one-piece nylon strap. And so then you start looking at straps, like, oh, well, this is really easy to change. Let me look at straps. And then you start looking at straps, and you start looking at watches on straps. The next thing you know, I picked up a Seiko 5 as an automatic and Mm -hmm. you know it was just right on down the slippery slope from there um it did not help at all that uh, the friend i mentioned earlier who has the dynamic at the same time after being years of being the guy who's like watches why do you need a watch i've got my phone suddenly he mysteriously gets into watches too and (laughs) oh no then we're feeding on each other and uh we now both have embarrassingly large collections um so (laughs) well so so let's let's take a moment to if you wouldn't mind just describing how well how would you describe your watch collection uh excessively large um (laughs) (laughs) yeah how many what's the skew on that like how many pieces do you have Uh, have you counted it recently yeah currently 133 wow exactly that's impressive the thing is, the vast majority of them are extremely affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, where's the midpoint? I have a, you know, do I median costs about 70 bucks? Okay. Um, and I really spent a lot of time learning about watches and kind of, you know, found many things interesting. Sometimes it would be the mechanics. Sometimes it would be the appearance Sometimes it would be the history of a watch or the complications of a watch. And I didn't have an exceptionally large budget, so I wasn't throwing around it like 
complicated ain't langen zona all the time or anything <laughs> right but um you know my uh, there are very few watches in my collection that i regret um i look at the collection as having kind of several facets you know i've got my my daily drivers okay you know that i wear all the time um there's probably yeah eight or ten that are in regular rotation at any given time and what would some of those watches be just so that when we look at your instagram page which of course we're going to link up on here sure. you know what are those daily drivers so that we understand those timepieces? Uh, well, first off, anything I got recently. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, we'll talk about um, that. Along with um, my Doxa, I have a Doxa mm -hmm. Sub 300 TC Rambler. Very cool. Um, let's see here. Of course, my, my Seiko Turtle. Um, I regularly wear my, my Skirfa uh, Diver 1. And my recently okay. acquired Treasure Seeker. Um, I have a Stova um, 40 millimeter classic, no date, no nice. logo, that I really like. Um, so, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That, that gives everybody a little bit of a flavor of what your daily or, you know, normal rotation looks like. And then the other 100 and 20 130 <laughs> pieces yeah. well then there's like there's like the museum um mm -hmm. i really went down the rabbit hole of vintage seiko quartz um i was really interested in vintage seiko um but i got interested too late almost they were really jetting up in price and then i started looking around and well what's neglected is the quartz pieces mm -hmm. uh, from the 70s and 80s so I have a um, couple of Seiko VFAs, which were made just in the first few years of the, as Seiko would put it, Quartz Revolution. Right. Um, and then I have a lot of the 4004, 3003 uh, watches from the 70s and 80s. Um, I really like that aesthetic. Um, they tend to be very, you know, interesting dial patterns. Um, interesting case shapes sometimes. I have a 4004 that's a hexagon, mm -hmm. oh, uh, wow. hexagonal case. Um, so yeah, and uh, it's almost hard to talk about it without standing in front of it. <laughs> no, um, I, I get you. But um, but yeah, I've got a, um, a bull of Accutron tuning fork watch. I have watches that are modern that I bought because they have uh, clones of the Unitas uh, hand winding pocket watch movements. Mm -hmm. um, it just goes on and on. Um, I've got into modding a little bit. I've got several Vostoks. Um, about half I've modded, about half I haven't. Mm -hmm. um, for some reason, I've never met a Vostok amphibia bezel that I liked, but I've never met a Kamendersky that I felt like modding. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, so, so, so as a collector, what are some of the most important things then that you look at and focus on before adding them into your collection? You know, it's something that for a long time I was spending so wildly, I always didn't think at all, except that it amused me. Um, in more recent times, as I've slowed down and really started to be a little bit more contemplative about it, 
Um, cases. Cases and lug shapes are probably the most interesting things to me. Um, you know, you can have a, a very interesting case in a, in a more plain dial, and I'll be thrilled with it. Um, I like angular elements. Um, so um, the modern Grand Seiko uh, 44GS influence cases, mm -hmm. I love them. Yeah, um, I have a Seiko Samurai, which I love the, the way those angles work. Mm -hmm. um, the Meistersinger lugs are outstanding. So as soon as you start fastening lugs, and whether you're doing it in a more delicate way or a bolder way, I like it, like it, like it. So that's one of the most important things to me. Nice. Um, I really appreciate a good bezel. Um, there's a watch that's on my my buy list at some point, which is one of the Marathon GSAR watches. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it has two things that I want. It's got a really kind of bold, prominent bezel, and it's got tritium tubes. Yeah. Which uh, that's missing from my collection. Uh, I have literally two tritium tubes that are on a, a weird... Uh, Kickstarter watch that I bought uh, the what was it the the NASA Trappist from uh, I can't forget the company but uh, it has a it's my uh, my MBNF uh, poor man's MBNF watch <laughs> nice. uh, there are a few shots of that on Instagram I believe but um, but there are two tubes on the uh, hour and minute hand and that's enough for me to go I need like a dozen plus of those on at least one watch. Right. With your eclectic collection and the number of watches that you have, like what types of watches and brands do you gravitate towards? Seiko does so many interesting things that they always pull me in. Mm -hmm. um, so one way or another, um, although I have a huge amount of them already. Um, you know, brands that I admire that I am very, very far from adding to my collection. Uh, a. Langen's Honor, I think it's probably mm, oh, my yeah. ultimate grail watch. Um, and it may be if I'm a, a good little boy and save my pennies, maybe I can have a Saxonia someday. Um, I don't see a, I don't see a Langa one in my collection. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, I'm always looking for something different than what I've already got. You know, I just, um, yeah. you know, I've got the, the Tudor Pelagos in my, in my, uh, in my sights. Which is a very, which is a very different watch than Alange, right? So, I mean, like, oh, yeah. you, so, so it sounds like you gravitate not only towards dive watches, but also dress your watches. You're, you're kind of. I hate saying it, and this isn't in a bad way, but you're kind of all over the place. Oh, yeah, very much so. Um, and I don't know that I'll ever stop being all over the place in my collection. Um, I'm interested in too many different things. Mm -hmm. um, what which I, is cool. Yeah. Which is, I mean, like, I always say, like, hey, man, you got to do you. So that's awesome. Yeah, but I do want to kind of, like, pull back and become a more vertical collector. <laughs> mm -hmm. So start to um, start saving and buying better pieces. Um, you know, there may come a day when I try to sell off, but 
I don't know, too much time. Um, too many pieces that aren't worth a whole lot monetarily. Um, but, um, but yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Um, so what would you say are some of the more important and favorite pieces in your collection? Well, I made a list. So if I had to burn the rest of the collection or, or burn, that would be harsh. If I had to divest myself <laughs> of the rest okay. of the collection, um, of course, the Seiko I have on would be the last to go for reasons I've already stated. Uh, I would keep my Meistersinger Metris, uh, which is, a, if you don't know, a one-handed watch uh, with a date. Um, it has the easily the best collection in, or the, the best, I'm sorry. I would keep the Meistersinger Metris, which is a one-handed watch, um, which has easily the best case in my collection. It is a stunner. I absolutely love it. Uh, the one-handed nature of it is odd which kind of expresses a little bit of my personality, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have multiple one-handers, but that would be the keeper. Um, I would definitely keep my Doxus Sub 300T. Uh, it is uh, a joy to wear. I love the uh, fact that it has a uh, on-the-fly bracelet extension, so you can make it yes. comfortable throughout the day by just a quick click. Uh, makes it super easy just to open it up and throw it on your wrist easily. Um, it's very photogenic. <laughs> There's it really is. Always places to explore. Yeah. Um, uh, my Scurfa Diver 1, uh, the silver Scurfa, uh, for just a good grab-and-go dive watch. Uh, I do like having a good quartz piece on hand, uh, so I don't have to worry about setting the time. And if the date is off, eh, it's okay. Um I'm a huge fan of having quartz pieces in a collection just oh, for, sure. for that. And, you know, some people are kind of anti-quartz, but I, I'm a fan of quartz just because there are so many different types of quartz, right? So not all quartzes are equal. Yeah. And um, I think we should make t-shirts out of that, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've got one of those uh, all full metal G-Shocks. I do. I do. Actually, um, that's a good one because. That one, for the most part, if it it's sunlight, the time is never wrong because it's based off of the atomic clock. Mm -hmm, exactly. So as long as it touches a satellite, it's good to go. Um, and I'm a fan of the quartz. So I, I also am fortunate enough to have one of those Grand Seiko uh, quartz as well. Mm -hmm, and it was yeah. a recent 60th anniversary. Yeah. Man, I will tell you right now, I, I keep just checking it because I purchased it over a year ago uh -huh. in 2020. I check it every so often just because I have to, you know, exercise my OCD. Uh -huh. So I look at my phone and I check it. It is literally still plus one. Wow. That's beautiful. That's, That's insane. Beautiful. So, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I'm I haven't really fan. paid any attention to my Doxa. Um, and I started wearing it for off and on like every other day. So it kept running. I'm like, I realize it's running all but dead on. Yeah. And I'm like. I have a mechanical watch that's running all but dead on. That mm -hmm. and my uh, my Seiko 62 Moz Paddy reissue are the only two that run nearly dead on. Yeah. But uh, I think you were on number five. I'm sorry. I to was, but I, I have yeah. to comment one more nerdy thing about your G-Shock. 
Oh, please. You know yeah. that that bracelet's held together entirely with spring bars? Yes. So true. Oh, which is the kind of nerd I am. This, that's just makes my tail wag. Yeah. And it was so easy to adjust. Like when I ended up getting it, I was like, man, how does this thing work? And I just realized, oh my gosh, they're all spring bars for every, you know, every link. Yep. And I was like, wow, this is going to be easy. So I, I, I was able to get that done. And you know, no one switch else it does that. Nobody else does that. The other thing too about that watch, it's very shiny. So I have two of them actually. I, my wife actually uh, got me one as a present uh, earlier this year for my birthday, and it was the rose gold one. I just had right. to have a little bling sometimes. Sure. <laughs> they just Shake issued an anodized like purple and blue or something yeah. like that that I saw, and I'm like, whoa. I know. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> but I was tempted just in a moment. But I will tell you, those things wear pretty well. I thought they were going to be scratch magnets, and they've held up very well. And I and with G-Shocks, for the most part, I usually am pretty good with the rest of my watches. I don't, I rotate enough that I'm not doing it as a daily, and I take care of my watches and stuff like that. With the G-Shocks, though, hey, no holds bar. I'll beat them. I'll do whatever. I'll wear them to the gym. Doesn't matter. Um, and so I, I'll take them fishing, whatever. And that watch just it's amazing like how the whatever they do for the coating it holds up pretty well so that's cool yeah. and then number five leads Jeez, right into yes. that is my g-shock 5610 ah look at I, you which i put on a combi bracelet which is their kind of plastic aluminum combination bracelet that i took off of a jdm um g-shock that i bought yes. that has a negative display and it didn't really didn't really connect with it but um, so I stole its bracelet and put it somewhere it belonged. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. I'm a big believer in every, and this is going to be a blanket statement. Every watch collector has to have a G-Shock, some form or another. Sure. I mean, like, it, whatever are, iteration. It feels like there are thousands of them. And so yes. there's got to be one that you can collect, connect with. Yeah. Yeah. I bought one of those like 90s retro uh, with a purple display. Right. It's got some teal like accents on it, but I've like a purple display on a G-Shock. Yes. Come on. Purple yes. is underrepresented I, in the watch world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I remember there's a Vostok that you have that has a purple bezel. Is that right? Yeah. The world loves that watch more than I do for heaven's sakes. Yeah. Like it's a, I'm, it's a very photogenic timepiece. Yeah. With the blue dial and the purple bezel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if ever remember I'm feeling lonely and I need some attention. <laughs> I'll just pull in that watch crack out. Crack that thing out and take a picture of that and throw it up on Instagram. The world goes nuts for it. That's cool. Uh, you know, but yeah, yeah. I have literally have every color of the rainbow represented in my collection for sure. Very nice. Very nice. So skip. I know you mentioned yeah. something about uh Tudor Pelagos. And possibly even a Saxonia, maybe in the distant future. Who knows? You never know. You never know. True. Can't predict the future. But what else would be on that short list? Ah, uh, so at the more affordable end of things, the Marathon GSR. Okay. Mentioned earlier. Um, when you hit that realm of the of the Tudor Pilatos in blue, of course, by the way. Um, the um, Omega Aquaterra is very oh, interesting yeah. to me. 
um, with the silver dial and the blue demarkers. And yeah, I got a chance to see one in AD a little while back and it's just a stunner. Um, Very versatile piece too, by the way. Oh, and I tried it on with a rubber strap, which is like, oh, I know they say you should always buy a watch on a bracelet, you know, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. The rubber strap is too good for words. And Omega bracelets are also amazing. So that raises the price on me because now I got to have both. Right. I'm a, I'm <laughs> one of those that do like to buy it on the bracelet. I'm sure before you pull the trigger, you'll do your due diligence and see what the cost difference is. It might be worth it in the long run just to buy it on the bracelet and then buy the strap later. I was at the Omega boutique in, in Naples. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, so how much is the rubber strap purchased separately? And he goes, oh, the strap is $350. And I was like, oh, oh, that's not so bad. And the clasp is also $350. So that's a $700 strap. Right. But I would have to have it if I went that way. So. I think I would have to ask them how much is the bracelet if I had to buy it separately. Oh, it's got to be more. It's got to be more. It's got to be more. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Um, man. IWC Engineer. And I'm not trying to pronounce that. No, that's uh, that's a great timepiece. Yeah, IWC is one of those watches that I remember before I was a watch guy, just reading a magazine or something, and I I spot IWC an IWC ad, and I'm like, that's a nice timepiece. That's a really generic sounding name, International Watch Company, which I have certainly gotten over by now. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, I forgot to look at that last time I was a place where I could see it, so. I was too much looking at the Palacos. <laughs> yeah, I, IWC definitely comes up, and, and Tudor for that matter. You're, you're hitting home runs with those choices, oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in time, we hope to see those on your Instagram feed. Fingers crossed. Yep, exactly. And so, Skip, you and I have known each other longer than we've known each other on Instagram. And it was because I remember when I first was looking at a camera to purchase a camera. I I shot with a Nikon for a very long time and I started looking at like mirrorless cameras and I started trekking all throughout Florida to find the photography shops. And, um, you know, I ended up stumbling by your store, which you're a a manager of. Yep. And, um, we started talking and I remember, I think I forgot if you were wearing a Seiko or some type of watch Probably. and, I, I probably I probably said something and it triggered a conversation and from then on it was like okay we're Let's buddies now <laughs> let the watch nerding begin right right yep and so you know I wanted to see if we can I know you're a gearhead yep. but I wanted to see if we can talk a little bit about your passion of photography sure and so how long have you been interested in photography oh. <clears throat> probably since the mid 90s I would say um, I was an architecture student when I first got went off to college and um, I stuck with it for several semesters before I realized I was bad at it and so <laughs> I left that behind and uh, thrashed around in school for a while and uh, eventually uh, left University of Florida and went home and um my folks were like, listen, if you're going to stay in our house, you need to teach you to, you need to be in school or get out. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And so I'm taking colleges, I'm taking college, I'm taking courses at a local community college. And I heard photography was an easy A elective and that I should take that. And uh, I'm like, okay, sounds like fun. And uh, from the very beginning, you know, you start out making pictures in an oatmeal box doing a pinhole photograph, um, an instant uh, photograms where you place objects on a piece of paper and shine light on it. I loved it. Mm. And um, <clears throat> I checked out a Pentax K1000 from the school. And uh, there were only so many cameras to go around. And the instructor was like, listen, you need to use it for a while and turn it back in so someone else can use it. And I never turned it in. And the instructor never pursued me about it like she did other people because she saw that I was using it, that I was always in there developing film and making prints. And um, so, yeah, I have great, uh, great fondness and uh, for, for that instructor and great gratitude that she let me do that. And so I uh, flash forward, I tended to go to art school Mm -hmm. and uh, decided against that at the last minute because that was crazy expensive. And I decided if I couldn't go into getting a degree in it, then I would get a job in it. And I applied all over town, everywhere. And fortunately, I got a job at a, at a camera store in their photo lab. And I've been in camera stores ever since. Uh, so like a lot of people in our industry, I started in the lab making prints. Um, I was their custom black and white printer. Nice. for um, about a year or so. Uh, but unlike a lot of other camera lab workers, I can talk to people. I'm a people person. A lot of lab techs are not. And so they essentially moved me to the front counter um, to uh, take in and bring up work. Um, not long after that, I suddenly moved to the camera sales floor where I did not know anything except my own, my own little camera. And I had a bunch of really great colleagues that helped me uh, get up to speed on, on gear. Um, one of which is still you know, my, my manager to this day, the general manager of the store I work at, uh, which I have great, a great relationship. It's been great working with him. Um, been my mentor for forever. So yeah, and uh, gosh, it's what? This 25 years, 1996, I went to work in a camera store. Wow. So it'll be okay. 25 years next month. <laughs> You've been doing this for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know a couple of well, things. Well, I'm, I'm curious, and I don't know if any of our other listeners are asking this question in their head, but do you still have that Pentax camera? Absolutely. I had Look two. Look at that. That's awesome. Is two. it the same one that you had from school? Yes. Yes, it That's is. That's awesome. I had to okay. turn the one back in. And so I, then I went out and bought the exact same camera. Um, and uh, it was uh, at a pawn shop for $80. Mm -hmm. And um, then I was like, so I was so like fixated on this camera. I bought a new one, one of the last new ones that they made. Um, I eventually sold off the, the pawn shop when I kept the one that I bought new. And uh, yeah, yeah, I still have that. I have a handful of those classic film cameras. Nice. That I worked with for so many years. Uh, the Olympus XA, another favorite. Uh, I've got my Holga, which is a plastic medium format camera. Uh, I, I think I sold my, my Yashica map, but, but yeah. <laughs> Very cool. 
Very cool. So how would you describe your photography style? Uh, it's kind of hard, you know, just like the watch collection, I'm all over the place. Um, you know, my style is, I always want to have fun with photography. Mm-hmm. And the minute it stops being fun is the minute I, I lose interest and I become really bad at it. Um, so I need to, I work very intuitively. Um, I don't make grand plans. So I don't do very much with props. Every now and again, I'll throw one in. But, um, you know, I tend to be very focused on details uh, in watches. Um, in the wider photography outside of watches, I, I tend to be somewhat fine art oriented, uh, which is what you call a watch that everyone thinks is ugly except you. but um, I'll intentionally blur things out. So I'll have entire pictures that are nothing but blur because the blur amuses me. Um, I think I remember some of those shots, like especially during the holidays where you start doing all these bokeh balls everywhere. Oh, well that's, 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 that's one that everybody loves. Yeah. Bokeh (laughs) balls. (laughs) We put a Christmas tree up in the store every year and every year I get a little bit more fussy about how they put it up because (laughs) it's going to be a bit. Okay. Are you going to mess with my bokeh balls? Yes, One year they exactly. put white ornaments all over the tree. And I'm like, that white is terrible. It looks terrible in my pictures. So I made them leave them off the next year. That's but, funny. Um, but yeah, but I took pictures of literally nothing but bokeh balls, uh, which I don't think those are on my Instagram. But, um, but yeah, there are certain lenses, the way that they react with bokeh, they can look very different from each other. Uh, depending on very specific lens characteristics. So, so Skip, great segue. I was just going to ask you, what kind of gear and cameras do you use when you shoot? I am blessed, again, to be doing what I'm doing. Uh, that means that I have access to almost everything that's on the market with the brands that I carry at my store. So we stock um, Nikon, Canon, Olympus, and Fuji, not Fuji. Um, we stock Nikon, Canon, Sony, and Olympus. Um, and I'm also fortunate that uh, the, the aim of our store is towards the higher end. And so you literally can't name a camera there that I have not used. I've used everything from, you know, a simple Sony a6100 all the way up to Canon EOS R5. Um, you know, favorite cameras. I love the, the Canon R series cameras, uh, whether it's R5 and R6 or even RP, their entry level camera is outstanding. Uh, Canon's macro lenses are the best, in my opinion. Uh, whether you're adapting over the old SLR lenses or using some of their newer stuff uh, in the native RF mount. Um, but, uh, I do try to spread out what I'm shooting, uh, so that I don't put too much wear <laughs> on any one piece on the shelf. Uh, and it gives me the excuse that I'm learning about different cameras. So it's like, is he taking pictures of watches again? Yeah. Yeah. I'm testing out the, uh, A7RC from Sony. A7RC. I'm testing out the A7C. Sorry, I'm getting my models all messed up. Uh, but uh, but yeah, testing different models, different lenses that come through. 
Um, I'm always finding a way to get them closer because not mm -hmm. all lenses are macro lenses, but there are ways around that. <laughs> and, and that was one thing too. I noticed with a lot of your photography, you like to shoot macro. You are a detail guy. I mean, it seems like to me that when you see, when you go through your Instagram feed and there are a lot of cool close-ups and You've mentioned a couple of times with the Meister Singer about the angular lugs, yeah. and you tend to like to capture that. I mean, do you look at various photos in your Instagram feed, and you try to capture not only the watch, but I know that, so I'm a Doxa fan, right? Sure. And there's one picture that you have with your Sea Rambler, um, that 300T, that is on rope. And you can <laughs> capture yeah. the detail of that rope so well. So you tend to like to shoot in the macro, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that rope is one of those kind of relatively rare moments um, where I have props. Uh, one mm -hmm. of my uh, colleagues at work uh, had some stuff laying around as props. And she's like, here, try to do something with this rope. And I'm like, okay, there you go. Uh, funny thing is, it's uh, I have one that's better than that one. Uh, the exposure is a little bit different, uh, but... That's part of, uh, of my a flaw as a photographer is that I'll get so excited. I'll be like, oh, and, and throw it out there on Instagram or Facebook or wherever. And uh, then, of course, you're still editing. <laughs> right. And uh, you end up uh, editing it better. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, I really do like to, to focus in on, on details. Uh, some of that is due to the nature of how and where I shoot. Um, you know, I shoot at the store, you know, right. almost always, you know, very few images that I put up on Instagram are from uh, something I shot at home uh, sometimes, but rarely because uh, I have, you know, part of being in, in sales as I am, you know, once all the work of, uh, you know, helping customers or doing paperwork or whatever is done, it's waiting. And so why shouldn't I wait while I take pictures of a, of a camera? Why shouldn't I wait while I take pictures of watches? Right. And so that's interesting. So to me, that means that, like you mentioned before, and that makes sense, right? So you're not really focused on these long setups with all of these different lighting setups and props and all that. Mm -hmm. you, I guess you have to be in and out because I've been to, the, I've been to your store a few times. It's busy. It gets busy in there. Oh. And so to be able to snap your shot or shots for the day yep. or the next day or however you do it, um, yeah, you have to be, I guess, really time focused. Yeah. Sometimes I can have an hour, but I can't count mm. on it. Right. Um, so, I mean, I need to be able to break down and, and clear it away in 30 seconds. Well, I'm mm. saying hi. Let me put this away real quick. Right. So I don't have time for, for tripods as much as I respect them. Um, you know, I don't have time for elaborate compositions, you know, with props and things like that, because I'm just not around. And, um, yeah. but, uh, you know, there are things on my Instagram feed that if you, if you scroll through long enough, you'll start seeing these certain blues in backgrounds. Um, there's a counter mat from Sony that shows image sensor sizes that we've had around forever super useful and it's a really nice blue color <laughs> so it's been the background of innumerable uh watch shots whether in focus or out of focus um, yeah yeah but um but yeah like i said i shoot in the moment 
Um, I shoot handheld. Um, it's not uncommon for me to do detailed shots of the watch on my wrist because it's easy for me to move around. Um, sometimes I'll take it off and find a way to hold it, but, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I, I really love, I see other, other people's feeds and some people, a lot of people that are, that get traction will have a kind of a, a visual language that they've established, um, and a photographic language, and they'll, they'll keep using the, you know, the lighting setup they've been successful with. Um, you know, or the, the general composition they've been successful with, although they're always changing the details. Um, but I'm all over the place. Um, you know, at any given moment, it's okay, what can I do? I can do a detailed shot of this crown, or I can do a, a wrist shot, you know, that uh, with heavy backlight is a favorite of mine. Um, you know, where you, the background blows out and the watch kind of gets uh, an interesting look against my arm. Right. Um, so yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. There's a shot of my Doxa. Let me look at it here. When was this? March the 6th. Uh, so my Doxa is sitting on, on white with a blaze of orange in the background. That blaze of orange is part of a camera bag. It's hanging on a wall uh, for sale. It's a, it's a mind shift uh, sling bag. <laughs> And the orange just happened to be there. And I, I found it. Oh, I, I see it right there. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very neat. So, Skip, you've been doing photography for a little bit. If there was one tip you'd like to share with our listeners that's kind of helped you or that you think could be valuable for some of our budding photographers out there, what would that one tip be? One tip? Wow. It's hard to come up with one. Um... I had to have one tip, especially for someone who's not quote, quote unquote into photography. Mm -hmm. It's uh, just pay attention to how light works against your watch. Um, and it's, you know, in general, in photography, it's like, look for light. You know, how is light sculpting a scene? Um, you know, is it super even or is it more directional? You know, is it bringing out a special detail? So it's not unusual for me to be wandering along and I'll just look down at my watch and I'll catch this flash of interesting. And I'll stand there like tilting my wrist back and forth, going, where did it come from? Grab my phone real quick and see if I can, if I can grab it. Um, you'll find me sitting at uh, stoplights, which by the way, if you, don't have, if you don't have lighting and you want beautiful lighting, sit in your car. <laughs> the car, the, you know, the, uh, you know, the car studio is outstanding. You have lots of light coming from all around and none from above. Right. Which means you can get the glare off of crystals really easily. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm big at the stoplight studio. I've learned to pay attention when it's trying to drive. <laughs> That's going to be funny. We're going to see a lot more of our listeners uh, at a stoplight now, hitting <laughs> shots. Hopefully at a stoplight. Do not, not take pictures yeah. while you're driving. <laughs> That's irresponsible. Don't do it. We'll have to we'll have to put the disclaimer out. Yes, for sure. <laughs> for sure. No, that's a great tip, my friend. Um, you know, you you are inspiring to me as far as the photography. I am inspired by many of the photographers in our watch community just because it's something that I would like to put more effort and energy and time into with my 
own photography. Sometimes I do a good job remembering my camera, but oftentimes I don't. I'm stuck with an iPhone instead, and I, I really need to be more mindful of having a camera with me. All right. So you're one that inspires me. Who inspires you as far as from a photography perspective? Mm. Oh, you know, from as far as in the broad, the broad community of photographers and the history of photographers, um, Minor, Minor White, um, who's better known as an editor, but um, he did a, uh, he did a book of photographs, gosh, decades ago, where he would just capture things like light coming in through lace curtains, you know, or shadows on the floor with no real knowledge of what's casting the shadow. Um, there's something mysterious about them. They're, they're just beautiful. I mean, he's such a brilliant observer. Um, so yeah, that's probably my, my greatest influence that I can think of. Um, you know, within the Instagram community, there are, there are just so many. Because I know you're a gearhead. Yeah. What would be maybe two or three things that for a budding photographer, you would recommend looking into or maybe acquiring? So you should always start, of course, with the camera you already have. You've got a phone in your pocket. It's got a camera. So that's where a lot of people begin. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but um, if you're really trying to up your game and get to a place where you can bring the quality up and get more control, then you'll move into something with interchangeable lenses. Mirrorless cameras are the way things are going. Um, so yeah, we look towards, towards a mirrorless camera of some kind um then learn how to understand and control focus and exposure and color and everything else is just details from there um as far as other gear i'm of course a terrible person to recommend a tripod but a tripod is always a no never a bad idea mm -hmm. uh, if you have more time than i typically do then it gives you the ability to to hold things steady while you're making small adjustments. Um, but uh, beyond that, um, especially a budding photographer, um, a light of some kind that's off camera. Um, and that can be as simple as a, a small LED light or even a flashlight technically. Um, but um, something that's small and bright. It's not uncommon when I'm shooting macro by continuous light that I'll have an incredibly bright light just out of scene um, so that you can get more detail. Um, you know, to throw some, some terminology, you have to close your aperture down and make the camera work with less light in order to achieve more things in focus. And so nice. with a little LED light, you can put more than direct sun. I mean, you can literally just dump light onto it. Um, so yeah. You know, and then eventually a macro lens if you want to do the kind of things that I do. Mm -hmm. um, but that comes back to understanding focus. You know, know how close you can get um, before you can't achieve focus anymore. But, uh, you know, number one tip of all time from any photographer or teacher 
if you want to take better photos, take more of them. You know, there's no substitute for experience. Um, and sometimes we see these outstanding photographers. You have these beautiful photographs. And you think, well, my photographs don't look like that. And well, the thing is, neither did the other 9,000 that they shot before they got to one that was great. Um, yeah. Which can be an exaggeration. But even me working fast, it's not unusual that I shot 40 or 50 shots, you know, before I, and then went back and found the one that was special, you know, which is often the last one that I took. Like, ah, oh, there it is, finally. Give it to me. Oh, there it is. So that's a great, that's a great tip. Yeah. Take more of them and then only show your best work. Right. <laughs> Which I'm also bad at. I show, I show work that's not necessarily my best. And now that we live in a digital age, it's not like we only have 24 to 36 shots in a roll, right? We can Ruth, keep going. It doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> right. We were right. walking out with my, one of my, uh, my second photography instructor was also very influential on me. He was much younger than my first. And, and we uh, got along really well. And I was a darkroom junkie. I'd be in there for hours and hours and hours. And uh, he had a friend who was visiting. And uh, so at the end of the night, we're shutting down the darkroom. We're all walking towards our cars. And I'm just kind of walking alongside them while they're chatting. And uh, he said, you know, it really surprises me how much money these kids spend every semester on film and paper and other supplies it's like it, easily it's hundreds and hundreds of dollars um and i thought about it and i'm like yeah it never even occurred to me I, you know but i was broke as a joke and i'm throwing all this money at at photography which i'm mm -hmm. glad i did but you don't have to do that anymore all you gotta do is charge your battery for heaven's sakes that's it. Maybe yeah. buy an extra battery. Yeah. Keep your memory card clear, you know, so you don't <laughs> run out of space at an inopportune moment. Exactly. Oh, this is really cool. No, very, very helpful tips and very insightful. I appreciate you sharing that stuff. Thank you. So Skip, getting back into watches, are you currently working on any watch related projects? Uh, yeah, I've got an ongoing project I, I work on every day. Um, I'm the a big fan of a of another podcast called the Two Broke Watch Snobs. Okay, um, they've been on the air for a number of years now, and I caught them relatively early on. It became kind of a, a super fan, and um, they started up a Facebook group. Um, and within just a month or two, I, because I was always around, the admin asked if I wanted to be a moderator. I'm like, I'm always here, so sure, why not? So yeah, I check in there all the time and make sure that everyone's behaving themselves. <laughs> nice, and, nice. And uh, you know, approve new members and things like that, and try and root out people that don't belong there for one reason or another. Right. But uh, every now and again, you drop the band hammer. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you gotta. Yeah. Um, what I'll do too is I'll link uh, the two broke watch knobs. Okay. Onto this one, just so that. Sure. Uh, we can give them a little bezel banter love, yeah, you know, just, back at them. Just like the podcast. That's the best way to do it. Yep. Yeah. Or, cool. or through their website, actually. There's deepbrookwatchtops.com. Sure. That stuff's all there, of course. Skip, this has been an absolute blast. We should have done this a lot sooner. I'm so glad so to have true. you on the show. So, so glad to have you on the show. And we've got to get um, together. We don't live that far apart. I know. <laughs> I know. We should try to find the 25th hour in the day to connect. So true. 
So how can our listeners get a hold of you if they're wanting to reach out to you? Uh, you can find me at watching SRQ on Instagram. It's probably the best place to catch me. Um, or you can swing by the Two Brook Watch Knobs Facebook group. Uh, you'll find me poking around there all the time. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel, which is also uh, watching SRQ. Um, it's kind of pretty much defunct at this point. And uh, watch some of the, like the middle videos. <laughs> some of the early, <laughs> the, the early ones are okay. And the, the later ones are getting kind of rough because I'm losing my passion for it. But, uh, but yeah, I'm all over the social media place. Skip, thank you so much again. I appreciate You're welcome. it. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor to be on your show. I've been listening for a goodly long while. Was surprised when you asked. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. We'll have to have you on the show again. And uh, guys, thank you so much for listening and spending some time with us on Bezel Banter. Please hit the show notes for more details and links. You can follow us on Instagram. I'm at Ernesto Guapo 72. And you can follow the show at Bezel Banter Media for any updates and new episodes. If you have any questions for us, please feel free to reach out to us on bezelbanter at gmail.com and please subscribe and review wherever you find your podcast because it truly helps us out. Additionally, you can grab this episode and other episodes at www.bezelbanter.com. Thanks again, and we look forward to catching up with you soon on the next episode of Bezel Banter. Thank you. Thank you.